All right, welcome to another Ember Weekend. I'm Jonathan Jackson. And I'm Chase McCarthy. And we are here to talk about newsy things. I swear, that's the same intro I do every single time. Uh, but I'm loving it. I'm loving it. I can't help it. I like it. We're broadcasting uh, from uh, Florida and Austin. How is uh, how's Austin? What's the weather like over there? Oh, it's nice. It's great. Somebody was just asking about that because they're considering moving. And I was like describing how, how nice the weather is right now. But it hasn't hit like summer yet. So I'm like... And I haven't been here in the summer, so I don't know. So, I'm just so like, you're just waiting for it to hit like 120 degrees or something? I'm like just that. assuming. I'm like, oh yeah, weather here is great. It's like springtime. <laughs> All right. Um, but anyways, we're going to dive in. we got a lot of cool stuff to talk about. Um, and uh, let's just uh, dive right in. All right. So the first thing we're going to talk about is uh, some corrections that we made to last week's episode. Um, we had talked to several people. Uh, and basically, we found uh, some of the things that we mentioned uh, were incorrect. And we... Uh, said the corrections on the Twitter feed. So you should follow us at Ember Weekend, all one word on Twitter. And uh, any corrections we post that are like, you know, little tiny things that might actually impact, you know, stuff we recommended you look at, uh, we'll make sure to post there so that you keep, you're, you're kept up to date on the latest um, information we have. Um, and then, you know, similar, similarly, uh, reaching out to us directly via Slack is now possible with a new topic channel for Topic-Ember Weekend. You should join that and let us know what you think about the episode that week, or if you have any direct questions or, or concerns, let us know, and we would be very happy to uh, to open up some dialogue there. So uh, be sure to uh, to join that. It's uh, once again, it's um, Topic-Ember Weekend, and Ember Weekend is spelled all one word. So uh, hopefully, we'll see you there. All right, and the uh, the first thing we want to talk about is actually something that I've been really uh, eager to to share uh, on Ember Weekend for quite some time. It is it's been on our our show note page for uh, how how long? Like a couple weeks now? Uh, at least three weeks, yeah. Because the, the the conference actually, I think, kind of threw it off. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think you're exactly right. Um, well, anyways, it's uh, basically uh, Glimmer's dependency injection uh, system is uh, is a standalone library that Glimmer standalone uses. Uh, to do the dependency injection for Glimmer. I know we've talked about dependency injection before, but we don't really go into too much detail. It's, it tends to be kind of a deep conversation or, or something that doesn't isn't done justice very well uh, when we just kind of ma- mention it in passing. And Glimmer uh, DI's repo has a readme that explains dependency injection from like a really high level all the way down. And it's probably the best explanation of both the motivations and why you would use dependency injection and also what it looks like inside of Glimmer, also in Ember eventually. Um, It's mainly, I think it's really modeled after Ember's current dependency injection system. Um, But uh, some of the things that are really important are, like it does talk about principles of dependency injection and uh, the the high level, the TLDR, the very top level stuff is that the prin- the main principles of dependency injection, uh, according to Glimmer DI, is that uh, things are uh, injected and there's an interface and they're portable. And I guess if we're going to go into more detail, it's like an object's dependencies uh, should provide should be provided when the object is created rather than hard coded. So that's kind of the injected section. Um, although there is like injections, that's a different thing. Um, and then a dependency may have multiple implementations so long as each implementation adheres to agreed, an agreed upon interface. And then an object uh, using dependency, you shouldn't care where in the file system the dependency comes from. Uh, and that kind of makes testing easier and uh, a bunch of other things. Uh, but but the, the high level view of what dependency injection is is explained very clearly in this readme. So I really highly recommend that you take a look at it. And 
uh, once once the high level stuff is kind of established, it talks more about some concrete things. And Chase, you want to talk about that a little bit? Uh, yeah, definitely. The um, I, I really like this repo because I think that it actually explains how these the kind of uh, the pieces of dependency injection work together uh, in a way that's hard to do in Ember because you end up dealing with a lot of Ember concepts about like maybe the the application controller or you know uh, initializers and things like that. Uh, when really the the core of how uh, the container and the registry play together uh, is the is, is key to understanding why it exists. Um, and so the very the first thing he talks about is uh, the registry and how this is the place where basically you uh, you take some uh, concrete class and you say uh, register this class as the the factory for uh, this named like tagged thing like but this is uh, this is the a service called uh, maybe like data store. And you're going to register it as data store, uh, and it's a service, so it's service colon data store. Um, and now, if anything says I need the service colon data store, it's going to uh, it's going to get that instance. Um, that may be in your actual application code, but in your tests, maybe you register uh, some mock service or something that you can like uh, put hooks into to see that certain things got called. Um, the way you uh, uh, get get those, uh, you know. Uh, instantiated versions is through the container. Uh, so the container can look at the registry when you ask, when you say look up something, it can look at the registry and say, hey, go get me one of those things uh, called uh, service colon data store. Yeah, so this readme kind of covers the, the I guess the two major types of things, which is the registry and the container, uh, and then some principles like inject, and register, and look up. And those are kind of like the functions you're going to be calling at a high level. And so the kind of role of the registry is that's where you register your JavaScript classes. The container is the thing that contains the instantiated versions of those classes. And it's the thing that you say, look up, uh, look up a thing. Uh, and the container uses the registry to say, to know where to find that. Um, and then the uh, injection is kind of like what makes it all really useful because the injection establishes rules to say, anytime uh, the container creates a version of this type of thing, uh, it automatically gets, you know, whatever you say, inject. So you can say, I always want to inject a store into uh, components for some reason, and it would, and it would be able to do that. And so the the injection is kind of what makes all that useful. Because beyond that, he actually mentioned somewhere in the post. Beyond that, you're just basically using it as a way to create classes. It's not super useful because you're having to still identify everything that you want uh, to be loaded in somehow. You're having to say, look up, look up, look up. Um, the, the last thing that he goes into, which is, uh, I think really interesting. And it's something that in Ember is a little magical. I think at a lot of times, uh, is the, the resolver and the resolver is the way that you say, um, I don't want to always have to say register. I want you to just basically be able to like, look at my file system because I'm consistently naming things and putting them in certain places. So if I say look up, um, I, you should just be able to like go to a certain folder and, and look for it. And so the resolver kind of. Uh, makes uh, having consistent naming and locations of files important so that you don't have to constantly say register. Yeah, and it's interesting that uh, the concept of a resolver in my brain always was really complicated. And I was like, oh, it's this, this really nebulous idea. And he breaks it down and says, hey, it's really simple. It just has, it's just like, on, you know, in, in its core, uh, it's really just a, a, a thing that has, that implements a retrieve function uh, that returns synchronously uh, when you give it a specifier, it returns you the thing, and and that's that's it. Um, so he actually creates uh, maybe like a ten line resolver that will resolve uh, common JS modules uh, using uh, I guess require, um, 
and it's really simple and understandable. And it's another one where I, I was so excited about bringing this one up because when I saw this, a lot of ideas in my own mind kind of like gelled around these things very nicely. So it really helped open my eyes to some of the stuff uh, that, you know, it doesn't come up all the time. So definitely recommend uh, checking this out, giving it like a full read. It's like I said, it's one of the best uh, write-ups I've seen on dependency injection in Ember land, I guess, but really just more, even a broader, like, uh, broader explanation of it, I think. So maybe we didn't mention this, but uh, this uh, readme was written largely by uh, Tom Dale and Dan Gebhardt. And I think it's a really crystal uh, explanation of uh, of dependency injection and not just in Ember, but also in kind of the wider ecosystem. So definitely check it out. It's super worth your time to read and understand because we use this stuff all the time as Ember developers. And it's uh, it's really helpful to have a solid understanding of what's going on. So check it out. So Miguel Camba wrote a blog post uh, a few days ago. Uh, um, it was April 11th. Um, and it's the future of Ember testing uh, and the beheading of jQuery, which sounds pretty violent. It does, right? It has, it has a really good ending. <laughs> um, and the, uh, the, the basis of it is, um, do we really need jQuery and Ember anymore? Are the problems that jQuery solved uh, for, for like, I guess, web development as a whole and in Ember specifically, do those still exist? Um, and are there any benefits to dropping jQuery? The blog post says uh, most of the issues um, that jQuery solves are actually mitigated by the fact that uh, the browsers have been updated and more modern browsers are more consistent. And also Ember kind of hides a lot of the things that were inconsistent, like DOM manipulation uh, from you. So it's not as necessary that we have jQuery. Um, at the time that Ember was created, it seems like, and this is just my opinion, that jQuery was kind of de facto included in every application because you just, it was an API that everybody knew um, and, it, and you knew that there were consistencies. Well, it is API everyone knew and it also offered that insulation uh, between like different uh, browsers that was 100% necessary. Like, I don't think that you really could, like uh, Ember, Ember supported IE6 for a long time. Like, I don't think that would have been possible without jQuery um, doing a lot of work to, to massage the, the APIs to be more uniform. Right. And, uh, and, but now uh, that doesn't seem as necessary. I mean, if you find that your application has to support much older browsers, it might be a, a decision you have to make, but it seems yeah. like as a, as a default, it doesn't make as much sense today. And so he basically goes into like, if you wanted to remove jQuery, uh, what all do you have to do? He, he does say that this is a kind of a significant effort if your app is a little older. Um, it's, it's weird also that um, a lot of the um, complexity lies in your tests. So because your tests use things like this dot dollar um, and click and things that are provided by jQuery, um, those are the places you might have problems. Um, luckily for like every project I've started in Ember for the last like year and a half or so, I've used page objects, so I don't have to deal with most of that. Um, there's a subtle place though, where if you're, um, if you're using Pretender anywhere, uh, Pretender has some jQuery uh, re reliance. And so in order for this to work, you have to fix either make Pretender not necessarily rely on uh, jQuery or you have to uh, kind of monkey patch a jQuery-like thing in order for it to work. Um, so there is some some problems there. And also, I mean, there's also the the obvious uh, side effect of that, you know, one of the major things, if you remove jQuery, there are assumptions around a lot of add-ons that jQuery is present. So um, there is going to be pain around certain add-ons not being compatible with a jQuery-less um, application. So, um, so a big effort, uh, is going to be to make sure add-ons are compatible with potentially not working with jQuery or working without the jQuery as a, as a requirement. Exactly. 
And so uh, once you get uh, uh, beyond that and you now uh, have no add-ons that have jQuery dependencies, you've removed it from all your tests, you've uh, made sure that all of your, uh, you're using Ember's handlers for events and rather than uh, manually using any kind of uh, jQuery events. So the savings on this is uh, is about 35 kilobytes um, if you were using a, a minified and gzipped jQuery. Um, you can actually get a, a simple win, he says, by, by just using a slim version of jQuery um, and you can save like seven kilobytes. Um, so, but with that 35 kilobytes, uh, he saw a 0.7 uh, second reduction consistently in like a five second load time on a mobile like 3G connection. Yeah, and I think that the the really interesting thing about this uh, blog post is um, so there's some obvious benefits of you know not relying on on a on a rather large library um, when you don't have to. So there's that ad advantage. Um, but then he start actually he he actually breaks down at the very end. Miguel. Um, writes down like the next steps to kind of like making jQuery-less world a default. And uh, it actually involves um, enhancing Pretender to uh, mock fetch instead of relying on fake XML HTTP request. Um, enhancing the Ember fetch to have the same parity with Ember Ajax. Uh, Ember data's internals have to hide, uh, hide all of the calls to Ajax that they use now. Uh, and then basically, and this is something we touched on briefly at the very beginning of this, uh, was basically we need to reward add-on authors somehow, uh, for making their add-ons work in a jQuery free environment, uh, or, or inside of a, a jQuery free, uh, host app hosting application. Um, and I think he, he actually puts a really cool, um, potential incentive is to get an extra point in, in Ember Observer, which I think is interesting. I, I'm not sure if it would be that, or maybe like a flag or a little badge or something like that. Cause the scoring system seems legit regardless. Um, but that's a good idea. And then, uh, also, uh, one of his last things, and this is another really, uh, very clever idea, uh, for the, for this purpose is to try to make sure that the, the top 15 to 25 add-ons in popularity overall in, um, in on Ember observer, uh, just make sure that all those are compatible to work without jQuery. And I feel like that, like if you, if you actually think about the, the number of like add-ons that are used everywhere, um, if you got the top 25, even if the top 15, you're covering huge portions of, of like very popular add-ons. So, um, so I think that would be a good first step um, towards this new kind of uh, style. Um, and obviously he's already put his, you know, his money where his mouth is with uh, Ember Native DOM helpers. I know we had talked about that uh, recently. Um, I think Bill or Pixel Handler has been working on that as well. So there's a lot of really cool stuff going on in this space. I'm pretty excited to see this uh, go through. Uh, and you know, getting you know, 35 kilobytes back is pretty cool. So the next thing we're going to talk about is a an example of memory leaks. Um, and there's this organization that is on, on our GitHub uh, for Ember-Best-Practices, uh, which I didn't know existed, but it's really cool. And uh, we went through a couple of the exercises Chase and I did uh, a little earlier, and they're really excellent at explaining some things uh, regarding the Chrome developer tools. So specifically uh, memory profiling. Uh, so it goes through some common use cases and common tools and like exercises around utilizing the memory profiler to figure out common problems in not just JavaScript, but I mean, I think not just Ember rather, but in JavaScript as a whole. Um, I think we focus very acutely on the Ember stuff because it's an Ember example, but, um, but these are, uh, widely applicable, um, 
tools. So um, we, I think the the main ones that we, we we work with for the first two exercises were the record allocation timeline and take heap snapshot. And then we go through a lot of the different uh, ways in which um, uh, like common bugs can be introduced and how you can kind of diagnose them uh, purely from using the developer tools. Um, there's a lot of really good insight here. Uh, I think Chase might want to talk a little bit about a couple of the gotchas that we had um, when we were going through it. Um, but he talks about uh, specifically there are five or six different um, leak types, no, four or five uh, different leak types that we go through. One of them is like prototype reference leaks, which actually um, Isaac Ezer just recently released a blog post that we'll link to that discusses that in a little more detail um, from not a debugging perspective, but just in general. Uh, and then callback leaks and um, a few other types um, that are just common gotchas that you have to be able to figure out and reason about and then utilize these tools to help make them more visible. Um, so yeah, with that, I guess, Chase, you want to talk about some of the gotchas and some of the, some of the tips that we learned? Yeah, so you'll notice that the, the first example he gives about, um, I think this was the callback leak one, uh, it, there's a, there's, it's going like really like down the line, like do this step, then do this step, then do this. And it's very like, and it's, there's animated GIFs for like, here's what you're going to see kind of. Like it, can, it can't be 100% accurate because the, the, the data you're going to see is going to be a little different. Um, basically at a cer certain point he goes, and this is where it gets a little fuzzy. You, there's like a heuristic to figure out where to go, but it isn't going to be like exactly what I'm seeing. And obviously there's no point in doing that because your app's going to be different. So you need to, you need to kind of like learn, uh, some, some patterns, uh, to get down to the, where you need to be. And, uh, basically he says, you want to, uh, look for ones that are, uh, the shortest distance from root. Uh, and that basically says, uh, since this is the, 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 the graph being shown is uh, circular, it seems like, uh, correct me, correct me if I'm wrong, like if anybody knows different, but it, the <laughs> same objects, uh, occur every like over like over time if you start digging down into like owner 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 you'll see the same objects occurring so it's, it seems circular and you can just get go you can just keep digging infinitely so the idea is stay stay shallow because the the object graph really isn't that deep um and so you know stay shallow and look for the biggest uh what is, what is that size it's like retention or something like that or retention yeah objects, it's retention size yeah, yeah. Or retention size um and so you're looking for the big number on retention size and a low number on the depth and uh, you basically just drill down until you're like, oh, there, I, I'm holding on to some object. In this case, he, the example is like underscore data, I think, uh, was getting assigned uh, something. To the, to the and, prototype, yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, right. To, it was being assigned on the prototype, which means it lived forever. It was not tied mm -hmm. to Ember, Ember's uh, uh, application instance. Right, because the prototypes aren't um, clean, cleaned up. So, uh, yeah, basically, like we were noticing like... It, the, the one section where he says, oh, it's a bit fuzzy here and you just want to do the shortest path. Um, like we had to do a little bit of digging around to figure out like exactly what heuristic it is. But I suspect that the reason he's, uh, this is uh, Trent uh, Willis uh, specifically saying that it's, um, you know, it's a bit fuzzy is I think that there is some like heuristics there, especially if you're doing like a cold search. So we knew we were looking for, we knew really clearly what we were looking for because the gifts in the exercise and because we knew the actual like answer because uh, it's in the exercise. Uh, so we knew what to look for, but if you don't know what to look for, you have to use some heuristics to kind of like narrow down the search and be like, okay, well, this looks weird. This looks strange. And I think some of that just comes with time and probably experience using the tools. Um, but generally speaking, you want distance and the retention size. That seems to be the way uh, that that guide was telling us to go. 
And the one of the other things he talks about is callback leaks, and this is something that um, you see constantly, and um, you know you might even see people like uh, dealing with it in code, like thinking they know how to do it. And this is uh, uh, attaching event listeners on window, and then like cleaning them up, and then destroy hook. And that's something that like um, I think experienced developers like do instinctively, um, but I, I I didn't know how to check for them existing in code I didn't write. Like without like manually looking through source, how do you see whether that's happening? And the example he gives is like, oh, you're going to look for these memory leaks, same same as the last time. But now when you drill down into it, you're seeing that it's like a reference to like underscore this. And the cool thing about the, the tools is that uh, there, sometimes you'll see like a little parentheses and it's like, I guess it's the function where that thing was created or something. I'm not exactly sure what the symbol means, but if you hover over things, they'll they'll point you to the, the place and source where that happened. And it's like exactly like right on the place, like here's where that was de declared. It's super helpful to just be like, oh, like one and now I know how to identify these in my code without actually having to look through all my code. Um, and then I can like click and go straight to it. And now the one thing he does show is you're seeing what Babel output. So some of the fixes uh, have to do with like getting Babel to generate code that is optimized. So it does get a little more in depth, but um, it, it, it at least gets you like to that place specifically without knowing exactly where you were looking in the first place. Like you're just looking at your application running. Um, that's a much better way to, to debug these problems and know for a fact, like after you fix it, that it's gone. So there's a whole lot of really keen insight like that in uh, in this exercise. And I'm sure that these exercises um, will be expounded upon or as, you know, like uh, new ideas come up, they can be put into this exercise uh, list. But this is a really cool, helpful way for me personally, because this is something that comes up quite a bit to kind of like practice around with the dev tools in a nice controlled environment where there's no like outside pressure. It's just like, oh yeah, yeah, you're gonna have these stuff and you know, follow these steps and this is how you kind of do this stuff. So it was really, um, it's really interesting. I really appreciate uh, all the effort that went into it, and I think that um, if you if you're worried about some memory leaks in your in your in your application, it's a really good starting point to learn how to deal with these uh, dev tools, specifically the memory profiler. Um, so yeah, I definitely recommend it. I think this is really cool. I'm gonna star the Ember best practices organization so that I see all the cool stuff that's coming out of there. All right, and uh, I think that's it for this week. Thank you so much for uh, following along. Uh, this time, we're not going to just mention our Twitter and RSS feed, which are Ember Weekend, all one word, and emberweekend.com slash feedxml, respectively. We're also going to mention that we would really appreciate it if you joined the topic Ember Weekend uh, channel on the Ember.js community Slack and uh, and talk to us there. And have if you have any questions, please open them up there. And we'll be sure to do corrections if there are corrections to be made uh, to our Twitter account. And, uh, um, you know, anytime there's like... Uh, information or question or follow-up that you'd like us to, to tackle, that's the best place to reach us uh, right now. So um, hopefully we'll see you there. All right. I'm Chase McCarthy. And I'm Jonathan Jackson. And we'll see you next weekend.